So we're going to look at the God of purpose. And in the group, uh, I want you to answer this question. Because I'll ask, what is the meaning of the word purpose? You talk about the God of purpose. That's what we're going to look at. I mean, we're looking at the purpose of God in evangelism. And the evangelism and the purpose of God. Well, the first thing we need to work out is the purpose of God. And the first thing you've got to work out then is what even you mean by the word purpose. So take a moment, try and work out quickly what the word purpose is. Uh, not looking up your telephone to get the dictionary. What do you reckon it is? Purpose and intended use. Reason, yes, okay. A goal. Mission that is given or... or you give. You give, yes. Great wisdom. Why something exists, the purpose of something, yes. The aim or function of something, the intended aim. That's a clever word, yes. Why something exists, really good. You're very approving of that. Okay, here we go, because unlike you, I did go to the dictionary on the computer. The noun, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. But it's also got a verb. For, a verb is a doing or being word. And, and never mind. And here it is. Have as one's intention or objective. So amongst us all, we came up with that much, didn't we? Pretty much that kind of thing that he said. Now, I wanted to be talking about the fact that God is a God of purpose. It speaks of his motivation, his intention. But it's more than that. It speaks of existence. So I'm going to look under God's purpose under three different headings. But firstly, just give you a verse to remind you of God being a God of purpose. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So even though I might think out I have plans and purposes and goals and aims and intentions, but in fact God's purpose is the one that is going to win in the end. But we'll keep that verse. The first way of understanding God's purpose is his purpose in creation. Um, wait a minute, have I got that right? I can't remember what's up on the screen. Yes, it is. Good. Is his purpose in creation. I mean, think of Genesis 1. It's teaching us his purpose. God says, let there be, and there is. It's not that God fell asleep and, you know, something dribbled out of his mouth and there it is, that's the world. It's not an accidental thing that has happened. It is a very purposive thing. Let there be and there was. And what's more, it fulfilled his purpose because he keeps saying, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. It did what he intended it to do in his creation of it. But can you think of a verse that shows you this, you see, um, that God is the one who, as the ruler of the world, actually has made the world as he would want it to be? So, let me see what I've got here. Uh, God is the ruler he made. He made the world. He made us to rule his good world, giving thanks and honour to him. It's called two ways to live. But there's the verse that establishes it, isn't it? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will, by your intention, by your purpose, they were created and have their being. The world exists 
because God intends for the world to exist. That's his purpose. At this point, it's very, very different to most of the modern atheists. There's all kinds of different atheists, but the common garden variety of atheists, like Professor Dawkins, it is completely different. You see, the atheist must say, we have no purpose. The world for them has to be an accident. Because if it's not an accident, if it's being purposed by somebody, then that somebody is God. Or something is God. There's somebody or thing outside of the world that has created it, that has made it, that it comes into existence. Whatever else an atheist believes, it cannot have a purpose. It must be accidental. What does someone like Dawkins say? Where does purpose come from? He actually has a series of little videos on the purpose of life. Now, three little 10-minute videos you can see on YouTube, and you'll find that by the time you get to the third one, if you're still listening, he finally tells you the purpose of life, and it runs basically along the line that we humans are the animals who evolved with a big mind. And that gave us the edge over other animals that are stronger, faster than us, because it meant we could start thinking ahead, we could plan, we could purpose things. And because we could plan and we could purpose, we beat everything else. We survived over all the other kinds of species that were available. And the trouble was, we started to imagine that the world is all about purpose. Purpose became our way of dealing with the world, so that we became ourselves the we, we got the idea the world has a purpose, when in fact it doesn't. That was the mistake. We confused our purposing things all the time with the reality of purpose. He says, there's something infantile in the presumption that somebody else has a responsibility to give your life meaning and point. The truly adult view, I love that kind of manipulative language, the truly adult view, by contrast, is that our life is as meaningful, as full, and as wonderful as we choose to make it. It has no meaning, it has no wonder, it has no purpose other than the purpose and meaning we want to give it, which if you're depressed is not much. You see, he puts it this way, we reach out in our search for meaning until we suddenly realise it's we who actually provide the purpose in a universe which otherwise would have none. There is no purpose. And the famous quote that you often read, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Lots of people like the idea of being atheists because they don't think out what it means to be an atheist. <laughs> because ultimately it means that we're meaningless. That's what it means. <laughs> There's no purpose at all. But you see, God has created the world. Once you say God has created the world, its existence comes from the purpose of God. It is here because God wanted it to be here. It is like it the way it is because God has made it the way it is. 
It means you have a purpose, but your purpose comes from outside of you. There's a difference. For Dawkins, your purpose comes from inside you. Your purpose is yours. You make whatever purpose you want. Of course, it's got no objective reality. It's completely fictitious. You can change it tomorrow and have a different purpose. Or you can have purpose from outside you because you've been made. But then that's a real purpose. That's a real meaning. That's a real existence. But actually, it's not yours. It's been given to you by the one who made you. That's the first bit about the God of purpose. Next one is in history. See, let me give you another question. You have lots of purposes. You're going to work each day or you, you, you go to study or you've come here or you've got lots of purposes through a course of a day. What limitations do you have on your purpose? What limitations do you find? It really is what limitations are there in your life, aren't they? You want to do things, you aim to do things, you purpose to do things. Can you always do what you aim and purpose for? Well, why not? What are the limitations that you have? Take a moment. Talk with each other. Okay, ladies, what's the limitation that you have? Lack of time. Our convictions, what about them? How do they limit us? Yeah, how committed we are to that energy. Yes, what about your energy? You don't have the energy to do things, okay? What about here? Legal limitations such as? Um, <laughs> not being able to travel over borders. You're not allowed to travel over borders, yes? You're a bit worried about who you wanted to murder, weren't you? What about here? Lack of control. You're not in control of your own life, okay? Conflict between two individuals, yes. Death, death has a fairly great limitation upon you, yes. Gravity has limitations <laughs> upon some of us more than others, yes. That is correct, okay. There, there's all kinds of limitations to your life, aren't there? But you see, what about God? Let's turn to the Bible, shall we? Isaiah chapter 14, a lot of Bible flipping now. Are you ready? Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14. It's in the middle, Isaiah. You just kind of open up in the middle. Then, if you're in the Psalms, turn to the right. If you're in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, turn to the left. Isaiah 14, and I'm reading 24 to 27. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. One of my limitations is arthritis means I can't turn one page. There we go. And on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. The Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? So we have limitations, our purposes don't get fulfilled, but not the Lord's. Assyria was the greatest empire of the world, but it was nothing compared to God. Uh, here in Isaiah, keep going, chapter 46, chapter 46, verses 10 and 11, 46, 10 and 11. 
Pick it up halfway through 9. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east to the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I'll bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God is the sovereign Lord over history. Before it's happened, he can tell you what will happen because he is not a fortune teller, he's a future creator. He makes what is going to happen, happen. Um, Go to Proverbs, Proverbs 21, Proverbs 21 verse 1. Proverbs 21 And verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. You see, Mr. Morrison and Miss, uh, our, our wonderful Gladys, they think they're making decisions, but their hearts are in the hands of the Lord. They are making the decisions he wants them to make. That's an extraordinary concept, isn't it? It's going to get worse in a little while. We, we tonight are going to deal, in case you've always worried about this and never really dealt with it before in your life, tonight we will be dealing with predestination. It can't help but head in this direction, can it? If God is in control, then... Well, come to, come to Acts, for example. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts 2, 23. Twenty-two to get the context. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. Was it God's will for Jesus to die on the cross? Was it God's will for Jesus to die on the cross? Put your hand up if you think the answer to that question is yes. Was it God's will? Put your hands up if you think it was no. Oh, you believe in God wanted murder, did you? The murder of an innocent man by guilty people. You see, it was both the will of God and the will of man at the same time. But it was the will not of good men but of evil men. Evil men doing evil things was the will of God, who is too pure to look upon sin. Yes, we have a little conundrum in our heads here, don't we? But that's the case of it. Look across to chapter 4 in Acts. Uh, By the way, the word determined there in verse, uh, according to the definite plan... Uh, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the word plan it must be, is aridzo, which means determined. But come to chapter 4 verse 27, because there it's even more stark, 427. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy uh, servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They did it, but what they did, which was totally evil and against the wishes of God, what they did was God, what God predestined would happen. There are two authors to the same action. I do it for my reasons, only to discover God has another reason for me to do it than my reason. And my reason can be exactly opposite of God. But God can get me to do it. Because it's his predetermined plan. Well, let's push it further. Because third, God is purpose of salvation. Uh, come across to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1. Just pick on one verse there in verse 11. It's really speaking about Jews, Jewish Christians, but it's true of Christians. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The Bible makes no doubt about the fact that people are predestined to salvation. Predetermined to salvation. And it happens according to God's will. It's his decision. It is his choice. That is the sovereignty of God, the rule of God, God's ability to fulfill his purposes includes humanity includes human sinfulness, brings about an election and predestination of his people. Now, my dear friends, at this point, for many people, their God is too small. If I can choose, then God can't, and if God chooses, then I can't. That's too small a view of life. Life is much more complicated than that. In every humanity subject you care to study, anywhere you'll find determinism and freedom is an unresolved contradiction, an unresolved contrariety, actually, that they have. People all struggle with it because clearly our decisions are not our own and yet we make them. And so, with God, he is the one. And understanding this is a huge leap forward. Don't run away from it. Grasp hold of it. Because this is to the Christian what Copernicus was to the world of understanding the stars and the moon and everything else. As long as you think that the, the earth is in the centre and the sun is going around it, you can make sense of the world and the earth, and the sun, but it's actually wrong. You're making the wrong sense. As long as you think I am in the centre of the universe and God is there to look after me, you have not understood that God is God and you're not. It's the big change. But once you grasp it, that God can choose whom he wishes to for the salvation he wants to give, everything else starts to fall into place. It's a big choice. Next question uh, looks at God's purpose by asking us, 
what is God's purpose in the world or what are God's purposes in the world and those of us who read Knowing God already might be able to give some answers to this quickly and those of us who know our Bibles will give even better answers and those of us who think we think we know well we'll give answers what is God's purpose or purposes what are his purposes in the world take a moment or two to talk it over with each other be really good if you can come up with a single sentence to capture what God's purpose in the world is. Okay, see if we can come up with a sentence to just sum it up. To glorify himself. It's a strange purpose, isn't it? Yes? God may be all in all. Okay? By glor to glorify himself by showing mercy. That gives some of us hope, doesn't it? To be glorified. I see, good. To reconcile all things under the Lordship. We've got a new theme here running. To reconcile all things under the Lordship of Christ. To save a people in order to glorify himself. So to glorify himself by saving people. Well, it's very interesting that you've all gotten down that track. It's not what I've gotten down, of course, but that's fascinating. I think his purpose is that Christ will be Lord and King over all. In order to hand all things over to God in 1 Corinthians 15, he hands it over to his Father, which will indeed bring him glory, that is correct, but it's a very Christ-centred Bible that we have, I believe, really. It's Christ is the King. See, when you read Genesis 1-3, to it's full of Jesus, but you don't recognise it. When God creates man in his image in uh, chapter 1 verses 26 and so on who is the image of God why it's Jesus uh, when God creates the woman for the man and unites the woman and the man what marriage is it talking about it's talking about the marriage in heaven between Christ and his people is the Old Testament, early chapters there, it really is for, it's, it's laying the foundation for the much greater eternal plans that are in Jesus. Jesus is the last Adam. Adam stands as the one who is like Jesus. His actions affect everybody else. And so, as in one Adam we all die, so in the other we're made alive. Uh, Come with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. I'm not disagreeing with the answers you gave, by the way. All very interesting. Colossians 1, which talks of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word firstborn means the heir. See? Prince Charles is the firstborn, Prince Anne the second, Prince Andrew, the one they wish they didn't have. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the heir of everything. The firstborn, what of? Of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, you have a purpose in creation. You have been made 
for Jesus. That's, that's who, what you have been made for, for him. Right? The whole of creation has been made for him. He's before all things, in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of, he's the beginning, he's the heir, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In this world and in the world to come, he is the firstborn. He is preeminent in everything. For in him, the whole fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is, Jesus by his death and resurrection becomes the one for whom, through whom, by whom God had already made the world. He comes to his final position, the position that he created in the first place. It's not that Jesus now becomes God, he was always God. But now he comes to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for whom the whole world was made so that he would be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It, it's all him. Let me try and show it to you again in history. Go back to Isaiah, back to Isaiah 45. I'm tired of reading here. Who's got a good loud voice? We can work in this room with a loud voice, can't we? Isaiah 45. And uh, it's only a few verses to pick it up there. John, you've got a loud voice, haven't you? Yeah, verses? verses 22 to 25, right? Eh? Isaiah 45, 22 to 25. Mm -hmm. Turn to me and be saying, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, the word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come, and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. And the Lord, in the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glorify. All the ends of the earth, everybody, turn back to God. It's about the nations, the, the whole chapter that we're dealing with here. There's only one God, and the Lord is his name. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What does that remind you of? Philippians 2.11. Philippians 2.11. We better go and read that then, hadn't we? Philippians 2.11. Philippians 2. And why don't you read for us verses 5 to 11, bro? Sure. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God the things to be grasped, but envied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, looking obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He forgot his father in love with him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God's plan was that every knee, every tongue, every knee bow, every tongue confess, only as the Lord is salvation. And with Jesus, by his death and resurrection, now that is what is going to happen. Every 
knee shall bow in heaven and earth under the earth every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father that is God's plan it all centers on Jesus and his death and resurrection is the plan and purpose of God so come back to our Ephesians Galatians Ephesians just the previous book Ephesians 1 Ephesians 1 and 3 to 10 Ephesians 1 and 3 to 10 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places it's a bit weird but we are already in the heavenly places if we're in Christ Jesus he has raised us when he raised Jesus to sit with him in the heavenly places and every spiritual blessing is ours never let anybody say that you're missing some spiritual blessing because if you're in Jesus in the heavenly places with him every spiritual blessing is given to you and it's given to you in Jesus and then he outlines the main ones the big ones even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him so the first one election when were we chosen before the foundation of the world before we'd done good or evil God has chosen us and he's chosen us for the end time it's an extraordinary verse 4 because it goes from before the foundation of the world to the end time when we will be presented holy and blameless before him to underline that election the next verse tells us of our predestination in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed uh, which he has blessed us in the beloved yes some of your groups I can't remember which one it is doesn't matter now that's one of the beauties of listening to each other and gaining wisdom from each other have pointed out that the glory of God is seen in the grace and mercy of God isn't it that his gracious mercy is seen in Jesus Christ he predestined us to be adopted in Packer's book Knowing God I don't know if you've ever heard of that book or not but in that little book Knowing God he sees the greatest blessing we have is adoption to actually be received in as the sinners that we are to become the children of God is an extraordinary blessing we've been adopted and how can he adopt us well through Jesus Christ and it's all by his will the purpose of his will which he's given us in the beloved in him verse 7 we have redemption here's the next great blessing that is purchased out of slavery now to be made children purchased out of slavery in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ see it's all all the great blessings happen I'm reading this slowly because if you read it as one sentence one paragraph quickly it all just flows over you after a while in fact verse 3 to 10 is just one sentence in Greek it goes on and on and on all the blessings that are that are loaded upon us they're all about God's grace but the way in which I have been redeemed purchased out of slavery 
is forgiveness of my sins. Because the slavery I had was the slavery to sin and death. By the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that slavery has been paid for. So I have been liberated. I've been redeemed by the forgiveness of sins. But it's all according to his grace. It's nothing to do with me. It's not because I'm good. It's nothing because I'm intelligent. It's not because I'm good looking. It's not, I know some of you find that difficult to believe, but it's nothing to do with any of those things about me. It's all about his generosity. He, for his reasons and his purposes, wanted me to become his son. That's an extraordinary thing. But notice he... he he actually tells me about it too. It's not just that he's gracious and generous to me, but he's lavished wisdom upon us as well so that we will understand what he's doing. And what is the understanding that we have? Well, verse 10, the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan is to unite everything under the headship of Jesus Christ. The little word for head there is a, it was a word that's used in, in Greek arithmetic. When I went to school, we'd write our numbers down in a column and then we'd put a little plus sign and then we'd draw two lines and then we'd add up the column and then we'd put the total down the bottom. But the little Greek boys did it differently. They put the column down and then they put the two lines at the top and they put the total number up there because that number is the number that holds the rest of the column together. That's the head of the column. The thing that holds it all together, unites it, makes sense of it. It's the ruler of everything that is in... That's the word that's being used here. That Jesus Christ is to be the head over all, that unites it all together. There is the plans and purposes of God. Let me put it in practical terms in your own life. Romans 8. Go to Romans 8. Then we'll hit to question time. Last passage, Romans 8. And we'll get to question time in a moment. Romans 8. Can someone read for us, please? Verses 28 to uh, 30. Romans 8, 28 to 30. Go on, Emma. Big voice. If we know that those who love God People love verse 28a. God is at work in everything for your good. Those who love, who are in the love of God, God is at work in everything for your good. Even the, the tough things like, you know, having an accident with a bread van and bashing your head, you know, and not being able to get a, a, a bicycle when every other boy has a bicycle, but being given a typewriter and said, God is at work in everything for our good. People like that. It's kind of the country and western reverse, isn't it? You know, you, you get your job back and your guitar gets fixed, your dog comes home and you get your girl as well. You know, it's the country and western song sung backwards is that verse. Right? And so it's a, it's a happy verse that people love. But 
I don't read the whole verse because it goes on. What does it mean for the good? For those who are according to his purpose. He chooses people for what? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, God is at work in everything in your life and my life to make us like Jesus. Everything to make us like Jesus. Well, that's still pretty good, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I could certainly deal with an improvement in that direction to be more like Jesus, but I still haven't read the verse. Look what the verse says. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm not being made like Jesus for my sake. I'm being made like Jesus for Jesus' sake. So that Jesus would be the older brother of many, many brothers who have the same family likeness. And so he predestined us and called us and justifies and glorifies us so that we will be just like Jesus. I tell you, God's purpose is that Christ will be the Lord and King over all. Now, certainly that will bring great glory to God and certainly that glory of God will be seen in the mercy of God because God's purposes, and that's why I put the question as a plural or as, as well as a singular, uh, because there are many purposes of God in what he's doing, but they do centre upon the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and my life. But that means God is all. He is the one who is making the choice and the predestination. We're looking this term at evangelism in the purposes of God. First thing we've tried to get to tonight is that God is a purposive God and that he's working out his purposes to make Christ king. That's his purposes. How does evangelism fit in it? We'll look at evangelism next week. Well, friends, we've started the year. We start the year with the purposes of God. Because I want you to grasp really important is God has a purpose. God is working his purposes out for this world. There is a great hymn written in uh, 1894 uh, by a very strange looking man. There he is, Arthur Campbell Anger which I think is even a stranger name, isn't it? Uh, that's the only picture I could find of him. It's a cartoon. He was the classics master of Eton. Um, now, the son of a clergyman, so, you know, clergy kids are really important people. you always got to remember them. And uh, this has been put to a modern tune of recent times. I, of course, learnt it from the ancient tune that goes with it. I will not sing my tune if you choose not to sing yours. And so here it is. God is working his purpose out as years succeed to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time. The time that will surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Glory, you think that's right? Well, the text in Isaiah 11 says knowledge, but glory will do. And then he goes on from utmost east to utmost west where human feet have trod by the mouth of many messengers goes forth the voice of God. Give ear to me, ye continents, ye isles, give ear to me, that the earth may be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. 
Let us go forth in the strength of God with the banner of Christ unfurled that the light of the glorious gospel of truth may shine throughout the world. Let us all fight with sorrow and sin to set the captives free that the earth may be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. All we can do is nothing worth unless God blesses the deed. Vainly we hope for the harvest tide till God gives life to the seed. Yet nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that will surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God is working his purposes out and he will. But he does it through evangelism. That seems rather strange. Because most of us find evangelism semi-terrifying, don't we? And if it all relies upon me for him to work his purposes out, he's, he could have picked on somebody a bit stronger and more able and capable than me to do that. How can this take place? Well, we'll come back to Arthur Angel in the coming days, I'm sure, and his hymn. But in the meantime, uh, we've done our Q&A and this is what's happening next time, isn't it? That we're pressing on evangelism and the purposes of God. We've looked at the purposes of God. He is purposeful, so sovereign that he'll bring about his cause. Whatever, he, whatever you throw at him, he'll bring about his cause. He is that sovereign. He predestines people for salvation, chooses people whom he's going to save. He rules over us in this kind of sovereign way. And he fulfills his purposes. Now we need to look at evangelism. What is evangelism? How, who, wh what is it all about? What is evangelism about? Next week, the week after we put these three things together. Understand where we're going? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for our night together tonight. We pray you be with us as we journey home. We thank you, Father, for meeting you, friends. We thank you for catching up with old friends. We thank you for the privilege we have of brothers and sisters who love the Lord Jesus and his word. We thank you, Father, that you are gracious and kind and that you sent your Son to redeem us. We thank you for his death and resurrection on our behalf. We thank you for choosing us and calling us to be in your family, adopting us into your family. We thank and praise you that your plans and purposes are not worked out for us, but for the Lord Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would continue to make us more and more like Jesus, so that Jesus may have many, many brothers who are just like him, that he may have even more glory. We thank you that we were made for him, and we thank you that we are regenerated for him. And we pray you would have this week that we may go on living for him, conformed more and more to be like him in every aspect of our life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.